Good morning, and welcome to Rockwall Prez. If you're a guest with us, we're really glad to have you. My name's Zach. I'm one of the pastors here, and you catch us at the uh, last Sunday uh, of a sermon series that we've been doing in the Psalms. And today we're ending it with a beautiful psalm, Psalm 46. Every Christian generation has to learn to live inside of a chaotic world. It's the plight of every Christian generation. It's the plight of every Christian to learn how to be faithful amidst the times in which they live, especially dark times. To be given faith also means you have to learn what it means to live by faith. And that's not easy when it feels like the world is tearing itself apart. And yet the Psalms teach us over and over again that it's precisely in those moments that a deeper search begins to take place. Something timeless can emerge from that chaos because those moments cause us to look up and search for something more. And throughout history, some of the most classic Christian works were actually written during times of incredible upheaval and violence and war and suffering. St. Augustine wrote, The City of God, as barbarian hordes were invading the empire. John Owen wrote, The Death of Death in the Death of Christ after he lost 10 children to pandemic and plague. Tolkien jotted down his first ideas for the Lord of the Rings while sitting in the trenches of World War I. And then 20 years later, when he actually sat down to write his first manuscript, Nazi Germany had already turned their sights on Great Britain as the bombs began to drop. Something timeless can emerge from chaotic times. I think that's why the Psalms are so powerful and meaningful to us. Because you don't find any psalm that's introduced with the superscript with the psalm of David while he was watching a sunset on vacation on the beach. A psalm of David when his life finally was what he wanted it to be. A psalm of David when everything was nothing but perfection. No, you don't find any of that whatsoever. Virtually every single psalm is one where the human soul cries out to God in moments of destruction, despair, difficulty, and darkness. In fact, it points so low in Psalm 88, it says, darkness is my only friend. And I think that's why they're so profound to us. Because the Psalms communicate to you that whatever it is that you're going through, whatever your worries, whatever your fears, whatever your problems, whatever your situation, whatever your circumstances, somebody has been here before. Somebody's been there. You're not alone. You are not alone. You're not the only one. And you have a great cloud of witnesses who have gone before you. They too had to learn to live in the same chaotic world as you and I. That's why they're so powerful to us. They give us the roadmap of a living faith. They give us the vocabulary when we can't find the words. They help us find confidence amidst the chaos. And Psalm 46 is no different. 
It's written by a psalmist who's looking for stability in a chaotic world. It's turned his life upside down. He describes it for us in verse 2. He says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its quaking. Now, at first glance, you read that and you're like, he's just using a little poetic eloquence to describe some natural disasters or something. But that's not what he's doing. He's really just describing in ancient terms what you and I think about all the time. You know, over the last or past few weeks in this series, we've talked about the symbolism of water in the Psalms and what it meant in the minds of our ancient forefathers. The waters were used to describe the forces of darkness and the forces of evil, the forces of chaos that are at work in this world to undo this world. Forces looking to swallow up everything into nothingness. And so when he talks about these waters swallowing up the mountains and the earth giving way before these waters, we know what he's talking about. Why? He's just talking about when all that his life is built upon starts crumbling around him. He's talking about the things he thought were immovable and unshakable in his life being leveled by unexpected circumstances and waves. And all he can do is watch those waters of chaos wash away the life he knew before. The life he wanted to protect. The life he held onto so tightly yet was stolen from him. We know exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about his worst nightmare coming true. So maybe the best way for you to connect with this psalm this morning is to just start by admitting to yourself that you're afraid. It's okay. Go on. No one will hear you. You're afraid. And it isn't something we like to admit, is it? Even to ourselves in the quietness of our own heart. Because fear is for weak people. Not, not me. But let's get real. We're all afraid. There's a reason the most common command in the Bible is fear not. Maybe you're afraid of that lump that you just discovered that you didn't know was there. Maybe you're afraid of COVID and wondering when it's your turn. Maybe you're afraid that something will happen to your children. Or maybe you're afraid that something will happen to you and you won't be able to watch them grow up. You won't be able to see them get married and have kids. You won't be able to see what they become. Maybe you're afraid of seeing everything that you worked a lifetime for just get washed away in an inflated, turbulent economy. Maybe you're afraid of what this country will become as you watch our society tear itself apart. We are all afraid of something. We're all afraid of the things that we built our lives upon being so quickly washed away, eroding out from underneath us. It's just the reality of living in a chaotic world that's only built on sand and it's full of waves. And when we feel that fear, 
When we feel like that water level is beginning to rise around us, what do we do? We look for power. We look for power to try and stabilize our world. We look for power to try and protect ourselves, to bring stability to the world around us. We look for power to give us confidence. We look for a power to make us feel like everything's going to be okay. We see this happen every day. We look around at our nation and we see the changing values of our culture eroding. The future looks unfamiliar and uncertain. We fear how things will look in the coming years. And so what? We look to politics. We look to politics to give us the power to change our world and bring back the stability that we desire. We look for power to try and position ourselves whenever our employer announces that it's time to do a little bit of downsizing. We look for power to try and protect what we've worked so long to accumulate. In the midst of an uncertain economy, we try to move around some assets, try and save a little, little money to keep what we've worked so hard for. Maybe you look for power in diet and exercise. Whenever the doctor gives you that bad news of bad test results, we all look for power to stabilize our world. And none of those things are actually inherently bad things. The problem is they just don't work. They don't work. The psalmist would ask you a little bit deeper of a question. They don't work because do any of those things actually remove fear? Do any of those things remove the fear in your heart? Do any of those things take that fear and replace it with a confidence that everything is going to be okay? Well, if we're honest, no. They don't. Sure, your political party may be in power, but for how long? Your boss may love you, but what happens when they're replaced by a boss that doesn't? You may feel as healthy as you've ever felt in your entire life, and yet it's not death coming for us all. Grasping for power in those ways doesn't work because it doesn't remove fear. It just delays it for another day. And sure, those things can bring stability to life for a moment, but we all know the next wave is already rising. The next wave is already on its way. And in this psalm, this psalmist is looking for power too. But it's a different kind of power. And it's a different kind of confidence and it's a different kind of stability. Because did you notice what he says? He says, even though the earth gives way, even though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, even though the waters rage and foam, even though my worst nightmares come true, I will not fear. That's a different kind of power, is it not? Why? It's because the psalmist isn't looking for power to stabilize everything on the outside. He's looking for a power to stabilize everything on the inside. To where even whenever his world is crumbling all around him, he will not fear. That is a different kind of power. And it's the one he wants to help you find. He wants to, you to know that kind of confidence and inner stability. He wants to lead you beside those still waters regardless of what you're going to face, 
when you walk out these doors. He wants you to know that confidence. And so where does he take you? Well, to a place you probably didn't expect. He actually starts by telling you about another world. He says, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Even though his worst nightmare may be coming true in this world, he remembers there's another world that's beyond his wildest dreams. It's unmovable, it's unshakable, and its security is concrete and certain. So why does he start there? It's to remind you that this world is not all that there is. This world does not encompass all of reality. It's for the same reason that Jonathan Edwards would talk about how he resolved to spend time each and every day just thinking about heaven. Time each day where he would stop and just let his mind drift upwards to that heavenly city. Thinking beyond his claustrophobic troubles in this world and just letting his mind rest on another world. But friends, it's not about daydreaming. And it's not about escaping or ignoring the problems of life. It's about learning to not focus on them. Because if fear and worry and concern and anxiety do anything, it's they get you to focus to where all you can see is the very thing of which you're afraid. It swallows up your thoughts. It floods your mind and it narrows down your world to where all you can see is the very thing of which you're afraid. And the psalmist would come to you and say, friend, your circumstances and your situation do not tell the full story. Instead, he turned your gaze to a city that's beyond your wildest dreams. A city that dwells in safety. A city that rests in perfect security. A city of still waters that's filled with joy. Why? Because God most high is in the midst of her. It's his presence that gives it stability. It's his presence that makes it immovable. It's his presence that makes it unshakable. It's the power of his presence. And he says, friend, that is not a daydream. Because that same God, what's he say? He's with us. This most high God, the Lord of hosts, is with us. He is our fortress. He's saying that if that is true, if God is with us, if God is with me, then my heart can know the confidence and stability and security of that heavenly city. And who doesn't want to feel that? Who doesn't want to feel that? And yet, why don't we? Why is it so hard to come by? Why don't we feel that in the ways that we'd like? Well, the psalmist leads us a little bit further. He says, come and behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns 
the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. You want to know that otherworldly confidence? Well, it's here that this psalmist starts to ask you an underlying question beneath the surface. What is it that you have allowed to set the tone and pace of your life? Is it your problems? Or is it the presence of God? When was the last time that you were still before the Lord? When was the last time that you just sat in stillness and focused everything that you had as much as you possibly could upon him? Doesn't that go against every impulse within us? For some of you, stillness is a cuss word. Like we need to just bleep that out of the audio in the sermon. They're like, that just sounds like torture. Bamboo shoots in the fingernails all day. Why? Because I wouldn't be sitting still. But stillness, that's torture. Why? Because it feels like I'm drowning. Couldn't possibly be still. And yet the psalmist comes to you with that invitation and invites you to have a different pace of life by saying, come and be still before the Lord. Because he knows the power of stillness. He knows that stillness lies at the very heart of how we experience a different kind of power and how we experience a different kind of stability against the chaotic waters of this world. How does he know that? Because he remembers the works of the Lord. This whole song, all the language that he's using is inspired by the Exodus. Because even the psalmist had to remember in his troubles that somebody else, that others had been here before. He had to remember too. And he's remembering the works of the Lord. He's remembering that moment when Israel came to the shores of the Red Sea and they're trapped. They saw the armies of Egypt chasing them down and they had nowhere to go. And it says that the people were greatly afraid and they cried out to Moses and they said, did you just bring us out here to die? They had no swords, they had no spears, they had no chariots, they had no power. They were fundamentally incapable of handling and dealing with what was coming for them. They had no power. Yet what does Moses say? Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians that you see today you will never see again. For the Lord your God will fight for you and you have only to be still. And this moment was the salvation events of the Old Testament. What's that mean? Well, it means that this moment meant for the psalmist what the cross means for us. And he remembers that the first lesson that God taught his people when they were afraid and they were powerless against the powers of this world, it was what? Stand firm and be still, for the Lord your God will fight for you. So the psalmist is remembering the works of the Lord, and he's doing the math of faith. 
He's saying, why would his story be any different? Why would God fight for him any less? Why should he do anything else other than be still? It's in stillness that he finds that confidence and stability. It's in stillness that he remembers that his welfare is not dependent on his ability to deal and handle with his, with his own problems. His welfare isn't dependent upon making all the right decisions and finding something that gives him enough power to exert back against the chaotic waters of this world. No. It's in stillness that he lays all of that aside. It's in stillness that he gives all of that pursuit of power up and he trusts that he's already found it. It's in stillness that he rests in the power of God. It's in stillness that the chaotic waters of his heart transformed into streams that bring gladness and joy. It's in stillness that he finds a confidence and stability that are fundamentally uncircumstantial because it's in stillness that God meets him. And so why don't we experience this kind of confidence and stability within us? Well, again, what have you allowed to set the tone and pace of your life? Is it your problems or is it the presence of God? You know, we hear that invitation of the psalmist to come and be still and we bristle. We don't like that invitation and we start throwing up all sorts of defenses. You know, we think, oh, I'm, you know, I'm just too busy to be still. Who has time to be still when I have so much to do? Life requires me to always be on the go, jumping from one crisis to the next. Who has time to think about the reality of another world with all that's going on in this one. And yet, isn't that the issue? We don't experience that kind of confidence because we're always trying to stabilize the wrong thing. We're only concerned about bringing stability on the outside, but never on the inside. And I think that's the real reason it's hard to be still. Because if you do, that's when you realize that the real chaos isn't out there somewhere. The real chaos is in your heart. And you're invited to be still so that God can deal with it. Or maybe you think to yourself, you know, I couldn't possibly be still because that's just too hard. I'm a mover, I'm a shaker. I like to be busy. I'll pray as I run outside. I couldn't possibly sit still, and yet that's not true. You're still all the time. It's just not in ways that you think. Aren't you still before your phone as you scroll away endlessly? Aren't you still before the TV every chance you get to catch up on your latest shows? Aren't you still before the face of that new novel late into the night? Don't you choose to be still for three hours every Sunday during the Chiefs or the Cowboys game. <laughs> Turns out we look for moments to be still all the time. But again, we just don't want to because it's in those moments that we realize the chaos is not out there. It's in here. Or maybe you're just a skeptic this morning. You've had a bad week and you're in a bad mood. You're kind of grumpy. And you just think, really? 
Stillness. Stillness before the Lord is really what's going to help me find a confidence and strength no matter what I'm going through. Stillness before the Lord is how I experience an otherworldly confidence that doesn't that isn't affected by everything else that's going on around me. Please. Maybe the psalmist's invitation sounds about as crazy as being told to fear not and stand firm whenever an army is chasing you down. And you think to yourself, prove it. Stillness, prove it to me. Truth is, I can't. But I can tell you a story about the real power of stillness. Because stillness was good enough for Jesus. The gospel story shows us the real power of stillness before God Most High. The gospel tells a story of how your greatest enemy was defeated and your salvation was accomplished by stillness. Jesus was with his disciples and they saw an army coming after them too. They were trapped. They had nowhere to go. Soldiers coming to arrest Jesus and take him away. And Peter, just like Israel before him, he's afraid. And he grasps that power He picks up a sword, and he's ready to fight. But Jesus stops him. He says, Peter, put your sword back in its place. You think that I couldn't call down 12 legions of angels? Do you think I do not possess the power? It's supposed to happen this way. So be still, Peter. Be still and know that I am God. The Lord your God will fight for you. I'm going to show you a different kind of power. Because Jesus could have called down the fullness of his power that you and I couldn't comprehend in a billion lifetimes. But he doesn't. He could have eradicated sin and death and evil and chaos with a single word, but he doesn't. Because if he did, there'd be no one left, including you and I. We'd be eradicated along with it because we'd still be dead in our trespasses and sins. There'd be no sacrifice. There'd be no atonement. There'd be no cross. The only way the power of sin and death and chaos and evil could be destroyed and for us to be saved is through stillness. And Jesus lays aside all of that power And he entrusts himself to the power of God most high. To the power of his heavenly father by doing what? By being still. He was still as they took ropes and they bound his hands and carried him away. He was still as they falsely charged him and carried on a mock trial. He was still as they ripped out his beard and struck him in the face. He was still as he let them whip him with 40 lashes. He was still as they smashed a crown of thorns on his head. He was still as he stood there before the mob as they yelled, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, and called for his life over and over and over again. He was still when he laid down on the cross and he let those soldiers nail him to it. He was still when he hung there bearing all the weights of our rebellion. 
bearing all the weight of our sin. And he was still. And then ultimately, he embraced the stillness of death when he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I rest in your power to deliver me. Behold the works of your God. Behold the way that he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. Behold how he burns the chariots with fire. Behold the power of stillness before your God. And maybe there's still a slight part of you that thinks, yeah, but all that suffering doesn't make stillness look very powerful. Or does it? Because isn't that the very point of this psalm? Because why else would he so willingly endure such suffering? How else could he let the waters of chaos and the powers of this world crash down upon him unless in that stillness he found a confidence that made his heart say, though the earth gives way, though the waters rage and foam, I will not fear. Perhaps the reason it's so hard to believe is because it is, in fact, a confidence in stability that's from another world that's beyond your wildest dreams. And it's it's the confidence that Jesus wants to give to you and the confidence that you find in stillness before him. Because in Jesus, you have an even better psalmist who says to you, I've been there before. I know what you're going through. I know it's hard, but I am with you. So fear not and be still and know that I am God. And your God will fight for you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let's pray.